Game of Thrones. Oh my god. There's dragons. You gotta watch it. You see them. There's this fight scene. It's hair. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Winter's coming. Watch your What's his name? Sister Kari's me. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our Dracaris. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Game of Thrones episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we take a closer look into episode three, The Long Night. Because there was so much going on in this episode, we had to break the podcast into two parts. In this second part, we're going to continue to talk about our feelings, but mostly we're going to discuss your thoughts. We have the poll results for Most Valuable Bannerman MVB for the episode. This was our highest voted poll ever. 450 votes, just one of many showcases of how much of a galvanic episode The Long Night was. <laughs> You're just trying to get Patreon words in there. <laughs> but we also have Clatcher's comments. We will get to as many as we can. The outpour was amazing. Thank you very much for writing in. We'll take a closer look at both The Long Night and The Prince That Was Promised. And we'll do our sneak peek through the heart tree spoilers for the next episode. So right off the top, I do want to mention that We've been pretty lucky with Game of Thrones, especially this season, but this was, and I knew this was going to happen, the first episode where we got a little bit of hate, social media-wise. It was divisive and controversial, as we knew going in. I mean, we said it at the top of last podcast. There's a lot of feelings about this. We're getting to the end of Game of Thrones, the final season of a show that everybody loves. A large percentage are book readers, so they're involved even further back than that. They're really invested in what happens here. And we talked about how the fandom has generally kind of been split in two throughout this journey. Those who are more in it for the high fantasy aspects, they like the lore, the religions, the dragon fighting, the White Walkers. They were really eager to see what is this showdown going to look like with the Night King. And then we have people who are not as much into fantasy who are in this for the politics, the Game of Thrones, the people talking in rooms, the character relationships, and struggles that we have yet to fully unpack. And those people are eager to see what happens when we go down to King's Landing and we meet with Cersei. So I think depending on which side of the fence you fall on and what you were looking for out of the results from this showdown with the Night King kind of dictates how you felt about the episode. Was it everything you hoped it would be or not? But we always say this as well, that we are here to represent both sides of the fence. That makes it really hard for podcasters. If we come in every single episode and just say, we loved everything, this was perfect, nobody's going to like that. Especially if that's not what we're feeling, it's going to feel really false. Now, of course, if we come in and hate everything and nitpick and tear it apart, that's going to be annoying too. So we try to ride that line, be honest when we have things we were disappointed in, but talk about what we really love. And at the end of the day, it's mostly just our opinion. So there is no right and wrong here. If you loved the episode, that is totally justified. There were so many things to like. If you are left wanting a little more, we feel you on that too. That's all okay. This is a forum, a place to talk about that. And I hope it did show that we did truly enjoy this episode. Of course, we had some qualms. I wish it was a little brighter so we could see some more. I like the fact that it was Arya, but does it make sense in the lore, 
that's what we broke down. Mm -hmm. Would we have been happy if it was John? Or would we be saying, well, we knew that was coming? I don't know. It's hard for Benioff and Weiss to play that right, you know, because on the one hand, they want to be unique and surprising. They don't want to do something everyone's been expecting for eight years. Right. But on the other hand, it does have to fit with the story you've told with the book lore. It shouldn't be something that kind of comes out of left field for surprise sake. And that might mean it's something we've already figured out. I mean, you're not going to do a lot that people haven't guessed at in this world at some point. The thing is, I also try to get a good pulse beat. I mean, we do a lot of research and in-depth looking at what's out there. What are other podcasts saying? What are the articles saying? What are friends and family saying? What are our clatchers saying? Exactly. And the feedback on a lot of things that we were disappointed in I have heard in so many places the darkness of the episode, some of the battle strategy stuff, some of the missing lore pieces. I mean, I don't think it's wrong to point that out when so many people are saying it. You know, when does that become, well, this was artistic intent, this is what we meant, but if 60% of people are seeing something being frustrated with it, something happened. But you know what? We did get some great Clatcher comments to rebuttal some of our complaints, and I can't wait to divulge those. They make a lot of sense, for the most part. Some people just said, you guys are idiots. (laughs) It was hard to really do anything with, you're wrong, that's not it. (laughs) So last episode, we gave our overall ratings. What did we think about it on a scale of 1 to 10 Ravens? But we still have our MVB. Every week we ask our Clatchers, right after the episode, who is your most valuable bannerman? We do this via Twitter. We try to do it on Facebook, but their poll is not as robust. (laughs) I just mean they only give you two options. We have trouble with four options. So we're sticking with Twitter for now. And you can follow us at CKC Podcast to join us on this show and all the future shows that we're doing. This is part of the water cooler. So like we said, we got 450 votes. The options were Arya, Theon, Jorah, and Drogon. Coming in fourth place with only 2% was Jorah. Oh, my man. He laid down his life, made the ultimate sacrifice in this episode. I kind of feel bad for him that he only got 2%. Um... MVB-wise, we're always talking about what moves the story forward, how did the character move their arc or complete their arc, for that matter. I think he did a valiant job, and I think what he did will prove more valuable when it comes to fighting Cersei. Most likely, we'll look back at this with a lot more reverence once the season is over. Well, presumably, he saved Danny's life. I mean, she yeah. really would have been done for. Fantastic fighter. You know, he always has been, has a lot of courage and bravery. He had a great journey, and perhaps it was really at a finish. This was a good way to go out. Coming in at third place with 3% is Drogon. He essentially saved Jon and Rhaegal's life. I think they were doing well in the fight against the Ice Dragon, but they were starting to lose. They and weren't if it strong wasn't, enough. If it wasn't for Drogon, they would have been toast. So two of your biggest characters... Yeah. Danny and John being saved by two other characters. Drogon was a beast in this episode. I know we were a little disappointed. We thought the dragons could have done more. It got confusing. But the parts that we were able to see when they were fighting each other, when they were swooping in to breathe fire, were really incredible. And the final scene where Jorah dies and Drogon coming in to comfort Danny was beautiful. visually and emotionally beautiful. We got some comments saying, how could you do Drogon and not do Lyanna? And we feel you on that. If there was five, we would have put Leanna as well. Um, She's on the honorable mention. She really is. And you're probably right. I don't know. Well, at that point, like we say, it's, it's how big is the act. 
So who knows how many people she probably saved. Oh, shit ton. Tons of people by taking out that giant versus John and Danny's life. How do you weigh that out? You know, it's really difficult. And coming in at second place with 9% is Theon. Listen, his arc, like we said last episode, his arc was amazing. I'll forever remember him in the best of light from this point on. And he was invaluable to saving Bran. If Bran died before the Night King got there, well... He probably the Night King would probably still be alive. So he sacrificed himself for his family, for his home. Yeah, the first three that we just discussed on the polls, making enormous sacrifices or valiant efforts to save really important characters. And in a poll that is such a landslide and we knew it would be, getting 9% is no small feat, good. actually. Yeah. The other thing I want to say is that if there's anything this season of Game of Thrones is doing... to perfection. It's closing out character stories. Those who we are going to lose, Jorah, Theon, Melisandre, the end of their journey is done absolutely perfect. I couldn't ask for any more. But coming in first place, to no one's surprise, with a resounding 86% is Arya. I think maybe the 70s and only a couple of times, 70th percentile is the highest that characters have ever gotten on a poll result the magicians we got some 80s one got one or two got 80 but never 86 yeah i mean what's there to say we, we got I, to I don't see think her you need to, to say anything about that one i was really excited to see her be the one aria stared death in the face and said not today like we were saying about her act regardless of if there were things maybe we were excited to see that didn't happen or if there was lore built into the story that we felt didn't play out 100%. The actual act of what happened on screen was amazing. If you need a stealthy assassin, it makes all the sense in the world for Arya to be the person to do it. She's had the training, she's had the commitment, the bravery, the understanding of what needs to be done. I guess in my mind, if Arya was going to take out a major player, I always saw it being Cersei. I always thought this would be part two when we go to King's Landing because of all that stuff that was built in, either Danny or John, and most likely John, because it just made sense for him to have to fight the Night King. He didn't even really get to have a strong moment in this episode where he fought a White Walker, where he fought that dragon that he was toying with at the end of the episode. Uh, He kind of got a little bit lost in the shuffle. He was being a great fighter as he always is, But I guess I was just surprised by where that went. And now I wonder, and we'll talk about this later, if you have Arya take out the Night King, surely she can't also be the one to take out Cersei, right? No, I don't think so. But along those lines, when I start to break down your thoughts, I initially agree with that. But there's a few things that would have to happen for it to make sense that Arya would be the one to kill Cersei. And again, this is assuming that this is for Danny to become ruler of the Seven Kingdoms. Assuming John and Danny still get along, and John's like, you're going to be the ruler, it's all good. We would have to believe that Arya wants to fight for Danny that much, is on Danny's side that much, for the Cersei death to mean that much more. Um, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I see what you're saying, but even if there is a rift, and I don't know how much of that's going to play out between John and Danny moving forward now, But even if that continues and they don't want to support her claim trying to take over the throne, Cersei is still a threat to them in the north. Cersei still wants them all gone and has a golden company, has an army to fight with. It's not like they can just 
hide up there with really diminished forces and think that they're not going to have problems eventually, you know? And then as far as John is concerned, not doing like the John heroic thing um, that we assumed he would, I I agree with you. There was nothing like the other wars that we've seen him do. One of our clatchers, Siando, tweeted at us an article from Cosmopolitan.com, and I watched it briefly before we started recording. It's in regards to the fact that they believe John saw Arya trucking it to where the Night King was when he was leaned up against the rock in front of the dragon. Mm Mm-hmm. It looks like he does look at something briefly. And then when he stands up and yells, he yells, go, go, go. To her? Yes, while staring at the dragon. To keep the dragon's attention so that she could go and stab the White Walker. So to keep the dragon's attention. Right. If that's true, that's awesome. It goes back to problem number one. I couldn't see See any of this. I know. (laughs) But it makes complete sense rather than thinking he was just yelling at the fucking dragon for no reason yeah that's that's really tough also there's so many sounds going on in the heat of battle it makes a lot of sense but there's a few things i gotta watch it a few more times and i have to watch someone else's clip because that could have been dubbed over as well yeah i don't remember really hearing him say anything but uh, i remember yelling that's uh, all again though is that enough for you for him to encourage aria on i mean well he was sacrificing himself assuming that he'll probably die from the dragon standing there in front of him. Sure. I mean, pretty much everybody at this point was assuming they're going to die. They're going to die in this battle. I don't mean was it a worthy enough sacrifice? Was it a heroic enough moment? It's not that I need to see John out there kicking some ass. I've seen that before and I know John can do it. I'm talking about years of history. Yes. And things that we have built up to. And we're going to talk later about backstories on The Long Night, The Prince That Was Promised. I know that the TV show is different than the books. However, the show has also had its fair share of prophecies, things that seem to be important. Even in this episode, Melisandre is coming back with words that she spoke to Arya that are meant to be so impactful later because she predicted that way back when. And yet, There's others that are really, really huge that ostensibly we might let drop. I just don't think you can play it both ways. Either you're incorporating the prophecies and the lore or you're doing your own thing. But it remains to be seen. I'm really interested in how they treat the second half of this season. And it may all make sense in the end. And it might be fucking cool. Well, as I was saying before... I hope Jamie kills Cersei, by the way. Well, okay. So (laughs) coming back to prophecy... Was there a part of me that thought at some point Arya might be the one to kill Cersei? I had considered that. Even going back to what Melisandre says to her, green eyes. Well, who is that? But that's ignoring the prophecy that Cersei got, that she was going to die at the hands of a younger brother. Which could still be the baby that she has right now. If it, it's it could baby. be a lot of things. But again, the way Azora High does not fit Arya, this does not fit Arya either. And are we going to yet again drop that though so she could do it because it doesn't matter because prophecy isn't going to be a thing here uh it's really hard to tell i have also brought up the thought is there more to the long night and the stuff that we're seeing here just because the battle is done and we seem to have defeated the night king in this episode doesn't mean that story has to be over it could be the end for now, the way they thought it was the end thousands of years ago when they defeated the last night. Maybe there will be pieces of this within the final three episodes that could really change my mind on it. Okay, so let's see what our Clatchers had to say. We'll try to get to as many as possible. 
We got many that says Arya, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Oren says, I voted for Arya not because of the kick-ass way she killed the Night King, but for her courage throughout the entire episode and series. Richard, thank you for commenting. First time in a while. (laughs) The Honorable said Arya did what she was supposed to do. Theon was incredibly brave and didn't back down. Absolutely redeemed himself in my book, R.I.P. There you go. There's one for Theon. Yay. Melly says Arya is the best. Now let's give her an episode to breathe and wash. And she can go kill Cersei wearing someone else's face. (laughs) Also, boo to HBO for such dark scenes. Hashtag squinting fest. Oh, I like that. (laughs) As we said, we don't think she's going to kill Cersei, but I think she's going to be so important to infiltrate her army, take out some of the major chess pieces so that either Jon, Jaime, or Danny kill her. By the way, we're not out of the woods. I think we're going to lose a dragon still. I still think we're going to lose a lot of people, unfortunately, because we didn't lose a ton in this episode. Oberyn's going to win. <laughs> He'll come back. We had a lot of people agreeing with us that it was very dark, a little too dark. Brian S. says, while Arya is a silent ninja badass, Theon's redemption arc and that acknowledgement meant more to me than her five seconds of stabby. <laughs> which was pretty heavily foreshadowed throughout the episode. Honorable mention for Lady Mormont and Jorah. Absolutely. Kirk being a bully. We have some write-ins about Ghost. Oh, don't want a spoiler here. We are going to get to that in our spoiler sections. Also, and I was concerned when we did this, when we did Questionable, I just want to reiterate, we know who survived, but we don't want to spoil it for people. A lot of Clatchers have told us in the past, specifically, can you talk about everything next episode after stating spoilers? Because a lot of them, believe it or not, don't watch the coming next. The preview. Because they just, they don't want any spoilers. They want to be surprised. So we do our best not to even wink, wink at things that we know because of the coming attractions. So that's coming up in the sneak peek. Elliot Todd says, besides Lady Leanna Mormont, honorable mention to Melisandre. She literally lit the trench on fire, not to mention the Dothraki Arax. The visual when they changed into darkness was amazing. Her final walk outside the castle, taking off her necklace as the sun coming up was beautiful. Oh, and Brian T., I think it should be noted that on record, we lost to Stark today. R.I.P. Theon. So there's some Theon love going on. I yeah. like this. Andrew says if there's a least valuable bannerman, it's the Night King's lieutenants. Arya snuck past all those suckers. Yeah, and they didn't do anything this episode. <laughs> they just stood around and flanked him. Definitely least valuable bannerman. I'd be like, my team, what is the point <laughs> of you guys? You know what's unfortunate? Um... The fact that the Night King and the White Walkers dematerialized because there's no proof for a thousand years from now. It'd be nice if there was something physical about him, something very memorable. Maybe his crown that was in his skull, maybe like that is like a boned crown that's always frozen no matter what. Mm. That'd be kind of cool. Well, that's why I was saying I think that this still could carry over. And otherwise, I don't know why Bran would have survived. If the point of him is to be a memory so we don't forget all of our history, it only makes sense that it could repeat itself. Again, this is a cyclical pattern. And Bran is there to help us try to hold on to that and remember for the future. Thus... The wall and the night's watch in the past. Hopefully, that's not something here that we say, well, we don't need anymore. When we go down south, Cersei could very easily say, what night army? There are no such things as White Walkers. No, we're not spending time and manpower and all this stuff dealing with the problems that you guys are imagining up north. Well, I have uh, a rebuttal to that. 
So first thing, do you believe that he dematerializes now and then reappears back up north? Because a new one can't be made. There's no more children of the forest. No, I think it would be hokey if somehow he rematerialized out of nowhere. I do think that once we see them shatter, they are gone. Maybe there's still some up there. Or White Walkers. Last we we tried to count up. Oh, they'd all be dead, though, because they were made by him. So even if they were in the north, they would have dematerialized just like his other White Walkers. Yeah, so we did get a question about that. We're not in Clatcher's comments yet, but I'm going to bring it up because it's relevant. Randy asked, can the Night King just bring back all the dead to life no matter how they died? I thought it was only the dead they specifically killed. A lot of this stuff is ambiguous, but what it seemed like, they showed us when we went north of the wall last season. The White Walkers, the lieutenants, that's how it worked for them. Any whites they had reanimated followed them, and if somebody took out that White Walker, their little army was taken down. But the Night King seemed like... He could animate anyone, whether he personally killed them or not. These undead, he could bring anyone back to life. And yes, it also seemed any of the other White Walkers he had made. That's right. And thus served him. Domino effect. There's still so, so Mm -hmm. much, though. We're going back to one scene we got through Bran's eyes at the Heart Tree where we saw the Night King first made. That was another complaint of ours, that we wanted to know a little bit more of the backstory. So there could be a lot we don't know. And the second half to my rebuttal is, I think there's still a lot for Bran as the knowledge keeper to continue with the humans. Once we regain the Seven Kingdoms from Cersei, I'm assuming now we have full camaraderie with the rest of the humans and the Seven Kingdoms. Everyone is on the same side. Everyone is for the humans, right? We just went through this catastrophe. We took out Cersei, who's still being a... a, there's going to be no fights for a while. Everyone's going to be cool. And maybe it's Bran's job to remind people of that. We shouldn't fight each other. We are all the same species. We're all, we are all humans. Remember when we fought for our humanity. There's a problem with that too, though, because there was many, many people who were not here for this battle. Dorn never even showed up, and they have never really considered themselves truly part of the Seven Kingdoms. Euron Greyjoy, should he make it out of this, and his Iron Islanders don't give a crap about any of the stuff we're fighting over. Even the people that are around right now, if they weren't directly affected by this, might not totally get it or understand it. I don't know. It's possible this is not the end of their struggles, and yet all the more important for Bran to survive, though. A lot of people saying how much they love the music agreed. Although that ending music number, when Arya kills the Night King, if you listen to it alone, just a track of it, it's very reminiscent of Westworld. Yeah, I agree. And remember I said, even during the episode, it was unlike most of what we've heard so far in Game of Thrones. But we have seen that concert live, and he is a genius. He's the man. Hell yeah. Vivian says, all four choices should have been Arya. Is there any doubt But Jorah and Theon made honorable stands and meaningful deaths. I thought for sure we'd lose more characters than we did. Excited we still have so many strong fighters to take down Cersei. And to die and break our hearts still. Jennifer gives a close second to the Unsullied, saying they protected the people falling back. They were a human wall. Without names in a foreign country, they are the greatest fighters ever known. And not just because of their skill, but because of their effing conviction. (laughs) Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, just seeing people on all sides being taken down it looks like it's coming to an end and yet the unsullied don't even break their ranks or formation not a second's hesitation the phallus my favorite says jorah i was so hoping he wouldn't die but i knew that when he went it would be saving his khaleesi 
I was expecting it, but still not ready. I will miss his beautiful, deep voice. <laughs> yeah, long been a favorite of mine, too. We got a light, lot of write-ins from Melisandre, so she also gets an honorable mention. I just wish she had more, and I know this is silly, so don't yell at me, guys. I wish she had more magic. Like she could like uh, shoot fire out of her hands or something. You that's know? <laughs> kind of what I like about the magic of this world, though. Even though it's fantasy, they keep it realistic on some level. She still struggles with it. It's still a sacrifice. In real life, she is hundreds and hundreds of years old, only being kept alive to serve this purpose. I really enjoyed the way we saw her go through everything this episode, except her slow walk out there. Uh, yeah. I think that was just like for style. Woman? <laughs> Ron is saying, indeed, to the Melisandre thoughts. Plus, she gave Arya the ball with the blue eyes comment so she could bring it on home. Great stuff. Yeah, he had it as a toss-up between Arya and Melisandre, so maybe we dropped the ball not putting her in there. It's Again, it's so hard with only yeah. four options. Jenna, Arya for the win. Oh, see, Anon Pees is saying exactly what I just did. Arya and Melisandre and Beric and Thoros and the Hound. <laughs> so many people on the list ended up being crucial to her survival and victory. Incredible payoff. Yeah, on Arya's kill list. That is pretty crazy when you come to think about it. Elliot Todd said she also predicted that she and Varys would both die in King's Landing. I think that what the words in her prophecy said was we'll both die in this strange land meaning Westeros, not Essos, where they came from. Okay. So if she is right about everything, Varys' end could still be coming soon. This is the problem, though. It's not that the prophecies are true sometimes and then other times they aren't. It's that they're interpreted incorrectly. And Melisandre herself told us that in the past. Yeah. She first thought Stannis was the prince who mm -hmm. was promised. And then came to understand later she was wrong, really thought it was John. But it's just because of the way she's reading the lines. It didn't make those lines any less correct about John after the point. So she would say, it's me as the interpreter, the conduit. I have trouble seeing that. Now, same thing with the Arya prophecy that he's bringing up. The first time around when she said it, she said, you will shut many eyes. Brown eyes, blue eyes, and green eyes. Green being the last, putting the right. emphasis there, making us really think this could have something to do with Cersei. This time around, she changed her own words. She said, brown eyes, green eyes, and blue eyes. <laughs> oh, okay, so we're totally switching it around because now it's the Night King that's supposed to have the impact. So that's what I mean. It's really tricksy when you get into trying to interpret this stuff. Sherry Ava says, I'm still wondering about why Melisandre died. Maybe it has something to do with the prayer she performed to start the Ring of Fire. Was there a price to pay by evoking the God of Light? I think there's always a price to pay. You know, I think that's what we saw with Beric. Yes, he got seven lives so he could keep coming back and fulfilling the purpose. But each time, he himself stated that he was diminished. Mm -hmm. He was less than. She said it keeps getting harder and harder to do this magic. And we see she is hundreds, maybe even thousands of years old when she takes that necklace off it's really what if she's not and it's just using the magic has made her actual body look that old and diminished i don't think so but i think she cool. actually yeah. told us she's been around okay. a really long time but it seemed to be it was a mix of she was coming to her end eventually yeah. it's the lord of light that was keeping her alive and he could decide not to the very next day that stone could have just gone out but it was a mix of that and personal choice she had fulfilled what she needed to do this was the end yeah i think it was a good uh walk off for real into the sunset yeah 
Okay, so there's been a couple of, you know, people a little disappointed that we're skipping over. Let's read one from Margarita, who has some disappointments. She says, I hated this stupid episode. It put me through heightened anxiety only to completely undermine the threat that had been building up since the very first scene in the first episode. But I voted for Theon because his redemption arc came full circle or something, whatever I met. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So she wrote that right after the episode. And- yeah. She's probably just as emotionally exhausted as we were. Yeah, but then you get kind of the follow-up from Sherry Ava that has a little time to think about that. She says, I expected more from the battle with the White Walkers than the Night King. It was anticlimactic to realize that Cersei is the real bad guy. I don't feel like we had enough time to recover just yet. Yeah, I'm very curious how they treat these next three episodes. Are they going to amp us back up so by the time we fight Cersei, we're like, yes, let's do it again. (laughs) Are they going to wait? To the sixth episode, I'm assuming. I hope not. I'm assuming it's the fifth episode that we go to fight. But we have to remember next episode is an, uh, is 120 something minutes, long. right? So yeah. I don't know. We don't thought know. there's no way the Night King episode could be all one. And sure enough, it is our first long episode, the third. So I'm wondering. I, I really wonder. RJ feels Leanna Mormont should 110% be on this list over Drogon. Oh, there we go. That's <laughs> the one I was talking about earlier. Hey, man, you might be right. Then we put her and then people get mad that Melisandre's not there. You just can't win this one. Here we go. I think Ryan is, Ryan has just summed it all up. Everyone had an MVP episode overall. (laughs) They all get MVP. Chris feels like it was a good episode, but felt rushed to wrap up storylines. Past eight seasons, they're coming. This episode, we did it. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk about this later too. I mean, there's some feeling that this has been going on since about season six when we lost some of the source material that Benioff and Weiss have been struggling a little bit with pacing, with character arcs and lore and stuff that's been set up for a long, long time. How do we bring that to a close? Admittedly, a seriously hard job to put on anyone's plate. Oh yeah, for sure. I did hear the Double Ds say they knew that Arya would be doing the final blow for three years now. Is that when uh, George... Gave him his remaining bullet points? Or is that when he... Is that when he stopped writing with them? That's what I mean. Yeah, I and wonder if he was them. like, all right, guys, if that's what you're going to do, here's my notes, I'm out. Oh, there are so many thoughts. We're going to get to that later on. And that's out of nowhere. That's probably not even true. And we got about 60 more comments there, but we have emails and voicemails to go through. We read all of them. Thank you so much for your comments. We appreciate it, except for the ones that just told us we suck. Coming over here to Clatcher's comments, just a couple of quick thanks before emails. Kristen sent us a war table photo ahead of the episode. Mark gave the recommendation for you, Jason, should we ever go back and do book read-throughs that you should try it on audio, which I 100% agree. Roy Detrice does amazing with the Game of Thrones books. Unfortunately, he did pass away in 2017, so should the other two books ever come out to finish the series, it'll be somebody else narrating. And there are some downfalls. Those of you who have listened to the audio will know he, at times, throughout books, switches back and forth between name pronunciations and accents, but he really helps to put you in the setting of it. I enjoy him as a narrator. Jennifer also sent the notification that they have music inspired by the series on Apple Music called For the Throne. Lauren sent us a great breakdown on her thoughts of what was happening between Theon and Sansa. And I won't go through the whole thing because it's lengthy. But for me, it came from a psychological standpoint. So I really appreciated that. When we were talking about how we were surprised in episode two that Sansa was so emotional to see Theon when he returned. She said it makes sense if you look at it through a trauma-informed lens. 
where Sansa was looking at him not so much as her savior, but as Theon the Redeemed, the return to virtue, the fractured soul who had finally found meaning. This moment of honor represents a core value and romanticized notion from her childhood that was brutally stolen from her and left her empty in a way that only a fellow empty person could truly recognize. Oh, wow. So I really like that take on it and thinking about that. There is obviously so much more. This is part of why I truly enjoyed Theon's story. I know a lot of people weren't into that, but especially in the books, there's so much background that's happening with him. So thank you for that. Joshua wrote to us via our website. He commented under the episode and he said a lot of great things. So I'm just going to pick out a few. He said, I want to comment on the largely legitimate criticisms you mentioned in the podcast and possibly offer some counterpoints. As far as the lore goes, which seemed to be your biggest concern, you stated you didn't think enough time was devoted to explaining about the Night King and Bran. And I agree. But this show is also not over. There's three episodes left, nearly four hours. While I'm not sure the extent they will go into it, I'm sure they will explain more. Uh, you know what? I think he's right. I think that, w- that would be great if... We finally get to see maybe that conversation that Bran had with oh, Tyrion. Oh, yeah, or... and I'd be really excited about that. I think my bigger point of lore was the background on the Night King. You know, was this all he was about or just a force of pure evil? What was he after? Would defeating him like this really mean the end? And is there no real prince that was promised? Then all of that Azora High stuff. But like I said, we're going to go into that in a closer look. And who knows? Maybe we'll hear more throughout the rest of the season. You could absolutely be right. I hope you are. He also says this fight wasn't the end and possibly not even the climax of the show, but that remains to be seen. No, I think for sure the well, climax is meant to be for the throne. Mm-hmm. Also worth noting that the spinoff series is in play. They might be saving some of the revelations. Well, I think George R. R. Martin saving some, but not the double D's. They have nothing to do with that spinoff. And they're going way, way back. Now, if they do something about the long night, though, maybe he's right. Yeah. On the Dothraki... They are open field horseback fighters. They charge fearlessly at their enemy and are nearly unbeatable at that strategy. So much so that it has worked every time and it's been even referenced in the show. And now you give them flaming swords? Why wouldn't they change? Well, Why wouldn't they charge? Excuse me. Okay, there's a lot about battle strategy and I don't want to get into all the nitty gritty. Yes, they are meant to be chargers. In situations, though, where they can intimidate human opponents mm-hmm. where coming standing up on horseback with an Iraq is terrifying. And you can hope the whole point of this charge is that you will take a bunch of people out as you're riding and intimidate the rest into breaking. You cannot do that with an army of undead. They don't care. They're not afraid and they're going to keep coming. And I think our bigger point about this was us moving on them. Mm -hmm. being offensive, rushing right out with some of the best fighting force because now you're giving that up. Yeah. And into the darkness where you have no idea what's happening there versus drawing them in to a situation that you can more control. Or at least presume you can control. And some other things that do actually have point in strategy. Now, I am not a military strategist. I'm not a battle planner. But I have read a ton of things about this. One of our longtime clatchers, Kirk, actually sent us two articles, one from Wired.com called The Battle of Winterfell, A Tactical Analysis, and the second from Vox.com, where they interviewed two military experts, one named Ryan Cower, a professor, and another Mitch Cook, a combat veteran. Oh, wow. And they go through all of the things that if you just look at this as pure military strategy, that 
maybe don't make as much sense or don't line up. And it's a lot of the stuff we were talking about where the trebuchets were pointed, how they sent the first lines in that in these types of situations, those Dothraki men would have been flanking the sides. So as they come forward, they're going around the edges and picking people off instead of charging right up the center that you would really have more of an infantry like the Unsullied doing that. Having rows of... Trenches, like we said, right? Yes, or anything along <clears throat> those lines. It's actually a lot of the points we were bringing it up, but they can back it up with... with actual knowledge. This is what happens within real battle and why yeah. it works or doesn't work. So if you're interested in any of that, please, I urge you to go check these two articles out. I think it'll give you a lot of background knowledge. They're very extensive. And thank you to Kirk for finding them. Since we're talking about battle, Christina wrote to us via Facebook, and she had a good point that I didn't really think about. Great podcast, but I think you guys are being a little harsh on the battle plans. Yes, multiple levels of trenches would have been a great plan, but they didn't really get to choose when the army of the undead showed up. I definitely got the sense from the first two episodes that everyone was frantically working, and when they found out they had less than 12 hours before battle, they planned with what they had. I think if they had a few more weeks or months, obviously the plan would have been different. Building trenches isn't easy, especially not in the stony northern soil. Yeah, that's frozen. Very good point. Absolutely. Two things to say about that. Number one, we started that whole conversation up at the top saying we know they were short on time and that ultimately they were outnumbered. So there is going to be so many limits to what they can actually yeah. do. But let's say you only have time to dig one trench. If you read this article, they were talking about where that should be okay. further forward so that as the undead start, again, marching to you instead of you going to them, the ring stops them temporarily as we saw it stop them here. And then you could either have the dragon swoop by and do a line of fire without worrying about them torching your own men. Right. Or you could start shooting the fire cannons from the trebuchets yeah. or the flaming arrows when you have them all in one spot. It's not like the things they were doing didn't make sense, but if you're looking at it from a purely tactical standpoint, I'm just going to keep referring you back to these articles because we did go through that already. But if you want to hear an expert say it who has background because you're just not hearing it coming from me and Jay, go check that out. And of course, she goes on to say many other great things. Thank you for that write-in. Very well said and very well thought out. Randy wrote in to say, believe it or not, I predicted Arya would kill the Night King, but I only told one friend. However, uh, I hate she when is that a happens. witness. I hate when that happens. <laughs> Me too. She has a question. She said, everyone keeps talking about Bran seeing what's to come, but I've never seen Bran predict the future. He is the memory. He can only see what has happened before. Did I miss something? And also, what on earth was he doing warging for that whole time? I agree with the warging. <laughs> so a couple of things I wrote in to say, it is confusing about Bran's powers. We have never really gotten the full reveal on what he can do. Jason and I have, have said many times, we do tend to agree with that theory. It seems like Bran can definitely see the past, at times see the present, but probably not the future. Yeah that he can make educated predictions based on things that he has seen and where it might be going. And even that has the limits because he has to know what he's looking for in order to see it. I do understand some of these thoughts that the people are talking about seeing the future where they're getting it from, such as before the battle when he said to Jamie, how do you know there's going to be an afterward? How would he know something like that if he hadn't already seen the future? Why did he know he had to be in the godswood waiting there for the Night King? Some have gone so far as to say he knew it would be important to give Arya 
the Valyrian steel dagger right. last season. They think this shows. I don't know any of that is definitive proof, but I don't know that we've gotten proof one way or the other. Derek wrote to us and said, I also think the faith of the seven is going to come into play again. Maybe in vengeance? We will see. So far, we have seen two gods involved this season. The drowned god could totally come back and shut down Euron. The many-faced god is operating through Arya. Don't count out religion being part of this, as Cersei had a big part of her storyline intertwined with this. And I think she will still have to pay for blowing up the Sept of Balar. I would love to agree, Derek. We have always really talked about the religions here and what they could possibly mean. How is this all working together? Even the thoughts that it's all really one, one religion, two gods, all these different people viewing that separately, but it's the same thing. But just like the prophecy and the lore, it seems like the show is picking and choosing what it wants to use from that and what it wants to drop. So I'm trying not to get my expectations too high on a lot of that stuff. Philip wrote in with a take on the episode. It was really long. Unfortunately, I can't read it out here, but it basically mirrors all of our feelings from last episode. So thank you so much for that. Hillary wrote in to say she loved last night's episode and also that it must have been hard on Dan and Dave to be forced to write the rest of the story when they initially thought they would be adapting George's work. It's not their fault. He decided to um, mess around. I'll put it more nicely and write other (laughs) books instead of finishing the series. A lot of people seem to forget that, and if they want to be frustrated with anybody, it should be George R.R. Martin. Well, okay, so again, don't take us down that path because (laughs) we don't disagree with you. I do think it has been harder since they lost their source material. And as personal fans of this stuff from the beginning, I imagine they have their own takes on how it would go too. So if you get bullet points and you have to just fill the rest in, surely some of that's going to come from that perspective, right? And that's really hard. But as we said before, we're going to hold all final judgment, reserve that until the end of the series. We have just a few more and their questions. Steve says, do you think now that Jamie did what he said he would do to fight for the living, would he go back to Cersei? She's supposedly pregnant with his child. Can he really turn her back on her for good? Or will his love for her and his family win? Honestly, and I could be way off here. I think Jamie will stand with the North. He just went through something that I don't think you can ever ignore. I think this is a life-changing event for sure. He fought alongside these people. He saw so many die. He was saved by Brienne. His feelings about Brienne and he's never gonna um, how much honor she has. Yeah, he, I, I, he just gave her the honor of knighting her. What does it say about him if he turns his back on everything that stands for? I would so hope because his arc has been so amazing and nearly complete that we wouldn't totally reverse that at this point. I think it would ruin a lot. Me too. So I think Jamie for the North. Jamie for honor. And also Tyrion is on the side of the North now. So if you're talking about being for family, he really has two people left and he has to choose. Does he want to stand with Tyrion or with Cersei? Speaking of Tyrion, Mark says, I would like to hear your thoughts and predictions on the scene in the crypts with Sansa and Tyrion talking about their marriage, if they would ever marry again. Masandi comes in and points out without the Dragon Queen, they would all be dead. I believe this is where the alliance between everyone will be put into question and where Danny's going to make a move that makes us feeling a little sour about her. I think the Sansa and Tyrion thing was more of a bonding experience. It was a look back on all the shit we've been through. And you know what? You weren't even the worst. You weren't that bad thinking back on mm. it. You treated me pretty well. And he said basically the same thing back. He respects her. 
He said that really sucks if I'm the best of them, essentially. And they went through a lot together. They bonded in this crypt together. It's not about love. It never was. I think it's more about respect. I agree with that. I mean, I don't 100% count it out, but I don't see it as likely. As far as that being an alliance that would then cause the final wedge with Danny. So if Tyrion and Sansa wanted to be together, I think there's already enough wedges and enough stuff to deal with with the John issue and his... Mm-hmm. claim to the throne. I just don't think we'd have time to get to it. And this last one just from Nicole saying we can't count out that Arya might still take a face in order to help kill Cersei. For sure she's going to use a face to help, but she won't be the final blow. They can't do it twice mm-hmm. in one episode season. And we have some voicemails. Let's check these out. While we were recording, we had a Clatcher Lewis call in. He must have known we were recording. Christina, you're totally wrong. <laughs> um, uh, 8.9 yeah, that's, that's that's wrong. I think Jason Jason is more uh, more reasonable with nine point four on the last Game of Thrones uh, episode, and uh, he should get the MVC, which is the the most valuable CKC host this week. He should totally win that. I think he won that this week. Because I'm sorry, Christina, you're just completely wrong, but completely. Uh, How many times did he want to get completely yes, wrong in there? Completely right. So <laughs> I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. Okay, you're wrong. Okay, Jason doesn't need his head anymore inflated. <laughs> no, no. I'm right. You're wrong. Because he always likes to be the nicey nice guy that goes above yeah. and beyond, so nobody hates him. Let's give this episode a no, ten point totally. two. Clatchers, just tweet hashtag Jason's right. <laughs> Let's get that trending for the microphone. That's the new head. Forget about for the throne. It's MVC for the microphone. For the microphone. Brian S. Now is your cue to call in. And back me up here because I need a little support. I'm archiving this. I'm saving it forever. Because you know Melly's going to be on that bandwagon too. So who do I have left? Hey, y'all. Andrew from North Carolina, uh, which is part of the 252. <laughs> so I just finished watching uh, Game of Thrones and, and oh my God, the entire time <laughs> sitting there just freaking out. Like the, the suspense was insane. The first look, the first 45 minutes was like, oh my God. Can we just get on with things? And then all of a sudden, it just hit, hit the nitro or something, and it just went in full gear. And whoo, Lord of mercy. <laughs> so anyway, right. I just want to say, first of all, thank you for everything you guys do. Uh, I've been listening since uh, uh, Game of Thrones in 2016, maybe. And I've been Patreon for about a year now. So if y'all aren't on Patreon, do Patreon. Um, and fortunately, you guys do podcasts on shows that I enjoy, so Doctor Who and Westworld and Game of Thrones, obviously, Sherlock, The Magicians, dude, I don't even want to talk about The Magicians right now, Um, and of course, you know, especially with The Magicians, the the interviews you guys get are are fantastic, so anyway, long story short, feedback, look, I initially chose Jorah, and then I was like, what am I thinking, it's gotta be Arya, it's gotta be, I mean... I love Jorah, and I might have shed a tear, just not as much as Avengers Endgame, but I definitely shed a tear for Jorah, but I honestly was expecting more people to die. And, yeah, it it didn't happen that way. But I was expecting to be a really sad, bummer episode. It wasn't. I'm super pumped. But now I'm actually wondering for the last half of the season, like the big bad was supposed to be the Night King. Now it's Cersei. Mm -hmm. Dude, they just beat the army of the dead. Cersei's going to be nothing. I, I don't understand that logic. So anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm pumped. I'm confused. And I'm bitter. So I don't know how to feel. God, this is just like Avengers Endgame. 
no spoilers. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Keep up the hard work. And uh, this, this round's on me. Andrew, that was awesome. That Holy shit. First of all, thank you so much for being a Patreon member and giving a shout out for all their other shows. Wow. Oh, and listening since Game of Thrones 2016, bless you. That was probably when we were still awful. We weren't that good yet. Well, I mean, I don't know if we're good now, but we were horrible comparatively. <laughs> thank you so much. And also, you know what? His feelings reflect what I think a lot of our feelings are. Just yeah. confused perplexed. One thing though, I think Cersei's going to be a big deal because you got to remember we don't have the army we had and she before still has this that long night. Fresh golden company. Yeah. She's got home court, that big company. We're exhausted. Now we have to travel s- south. Who even knows how many men we have left after this? Yeah. And you said you thought it was going to be a heartbreaker and it wasn't, thank God. I'm I'm on board with you, but I think they saved some of the heartbreak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thank you so much for calling in. By the way, where the fuck have you been? We needed you for magicians. Why haven't you called in before? <laughs> and I think Andrew said Jason's right as well. I don't know if you heard uh, I that didn't, one. I didn't hear that. <laughs> hey, this is E-Man, the elder millennial from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, first of all, congrats on the nuptials. Thank you. Um, so thank you guys for my first GOT podcast. And uh, do listen to several good ones now. They're also good in different ways, but um, kind of my go-to. I had a couple thoughts on the outcome of the battle, the upcoming epic battle, where um, the... Oh, we got a great voicemail from... It doesn't... We can't even make it out. I'm so sorry, man. We can't play your voicemail. It just... Keeps cutting in and out. It keeps cutting in and out. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I think he said E-Man or something like that, the name at the top of the Elder voicemail. Millennial. I love that. I got that from Tennessee. So thank you for calling in. I'm so sorry we couldn't hear you. Phones. Damn it. So thank you very much for all the comments, all the voicemails, the emails. And thank you to all the people who left us reviews on iTunes. Now, this is as of Sunday night when we checked it. Ara DDD, Toaster for Life, Tobias TTT, Nipsey Nin Ajinav. Sorry if I messed that up. Srarox, Nizu11, and My Secret Beth, thank you so much for those comments. We love it. You definitely messed all those up. You I don't, did. You don't win anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep those coming. We love the five-star reviews and, and everything you're saying about us. It means so much to us, and uh, hopefully it gets more people listening. Over to our closer look, we're going to talk about two things, the long night and the prince who was promised. Now, we've spoken about the long night before, but it's been a while. We have just had another, maybe our last, questionably our last. If so, we'd like to pay some homage to it. If not, it's important that we learn about it for the future. So what was the last long night? We've talked about the invasion of Westeros by the First Men, how they started to encroach upon the lands of the Children of the Forest, who we think are all gone now. This led to a long period of warfare between the two factions for control of the continent in the period before the Pact. During this time, a group of children captured several humans and experimented on them, creating the first White Walkers. So this is from the books that they actually created more than one. Maybe a tip-off. We only saw one in the show, but again, we just saw that one memory that Bran was diving into. The purpose was to protect them from the invading men, essentially a weapon. However, the White Walkers broke free of the children's control and became a threat to anyone living. 8,000 years before the Targaryen conquest, a winter known as the Long Night descended upon the world, which lasted an entire generation. Thousands starved as the crops and fields lay buried under dozens of feet of snow. The White Walkers descended upon Westeros, 
seeking to bring an end to all life and cover the world in an endless winter, which is what Bran just told us the Night King was here to do, right? None knew why they came at that time, but they killed all in their path. They reanimated the dead as whites to kill the living at their command, and soon they led hordes of undead to sweep across the continent. Eventually, the first men and the children of the forest rallied to defend themselves in a conflict known as the War for the Dawn. The White Walkers were defeated and driven back into the othermost north. The wall was then constructed, and some say it was infused with powerful magic by the spells of the children of the forest to prevent the walkers from crossing it. And finally, we know the ancient order of the Night's Watch was founded to defend it, should the White Walkers ever return. So back to that question, we definitely did not see... 14 White Walker lieutenants in the Night King's army when they were gathered around here in our final battle. If there were more, did they all fall? Could there possibly be some left? Is this really the end? That leads us to this kind of interchangeable idea. You can't talk about the Long Night without talking about the prince who was promised. I've been bringing that up a lot, saying... Well, what about that? It doesn't really seem like it figured into this final battle. If you're not familiar with it, we did hear a little bit on the TV show, but according to the prophecy from 5,000 years ago, there would be a figure, a prince, who would be born amidst smoke and salt under a bleeding star. He would pull a sword named Lightbringer from the flames, which he would use in combat to defeat the darkness. His would be the Song of Ice and Fire. I keep saying he and his. I do know that looking back at the High Valyrian, That wasn't necessarily true, that it might be interchangeable, he or she, so we're not really sure. There was a lot of thoughts that it could be John, it could be Danny. In the novels, the prince that was promised is implied to be the reincarnation of the hero known as Azor Ahai. So we use those terms together a lot, but actually Azor Ahai was the figure of legend who defeated the Long Night the last time, and people believe he would be reborn and reincarnated. That's the prince who was promised to come again. Azor did have Lightbringer. We've talked about how he made that before, how he had to temper it by plunging it into the heart of his love, Nissa Nissa, so that we become this amazing sword that glowed and radiated with its own heat. That's why Melisandre believed for some time that it was Stannis and they tried to create this sword. Anyway, following a long summer, an evil darkness would descend again upon the world. And the prince would come wielding Lightbringer once more to stand against it. If he failed, the world would fail with him. What I thought was interesting about this, when you look at the World of Ice and Fire book that Martin wrote, this wasn't just the Lord of Light religion who believed it. We hear a lot about that. Obviously, also on the show, Melisandre is always talking about it. This figure that we know from Ashai. But there are tales all over the world. In the Roinar, there were stories of a darkness that made the Roin, a river, dwindle and disappear, her waters frozen. The return of the sun came only when a hero convinced Mother Roin's many children to join together and sing a secret that brought back the day. And in Yiti, it was the blood betrayal that ushered in the age of darkness known as the Long Night. Despairing of the evil that had been unleashed upon the earth, the maiden made of light turned her back upon the world. And the Lion of Night came forth to punish the wickedness of men, darkness descending. It endured until a great warrior known variously as Hercun the Hero, Azor Ahai, Nefarion, and Eldric Shadow Chaser arose to give courage to men and lead the virtuous in battle with his blazing sword. And light and love returned once more to the world. Yet, the great empire of the dawn was not reborn, for the restored world was still a broken place where every tribe and man went its own way, fearful of others, and war and lust and murder endured. Okay, so I was wrong. 
So <laughs> this makes it sound like it's a cyclical thing. And yes, you can defeat the night, but if you don't change, <clears throat> if you continue to be split factions that war and fight for the throne and do all this crazy stuff, it will be back. And I kind of like wow. that idea that it's some sort of higher presence here to shake up these realms of men. You think this stuff is important? We're going to give another long night and you're going to learn. I don't know. That gave me a little hope that perhaps this story isn't totally done yet. Well, now I know why you were fighting me so much. The top <laughs> of this I was like, why is she fighting this? It kind of makes sense. What? Now I get it. And this is what I mean about all the lore. There's so much of it. If you're immersed in that, you're really wanting to see all these pieces come together. And if you don't know about it, you're like, oh, who cares about freaking Azora High? This was awesome to watch. <laughs> I totally get it. But hopefully you enjoyed that little bit about our backstory. Before we get a sneak peek in Through the Heart Tree, we just want to remind our Clatchers to rate and review our podcast. It only helps us. Tell your friends about us. We have other shows besides Game of Thrones if they're not into GOT. And if you find it in your hearts to help us out, there's so many ways you can do it. You can go to our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on the donate button, give us a one-time donation, $1, $5, whatever you can. Or if you want even more content from Christina and myself, check us out on Patreon. Just click on that Patreon link on our website, where depending on your tier, you can get up to three more podcasts every month. A movie review, a bonus episode with fun facts about life. We do research on things like the brain. We break that down. So many fun things. What, How Christmas really began, the background of April Fool's, so many things. We do mini reviews and we have a Clatcher involved game. It's, it's just a lot of fun and it helps us out tremendously. Let me give you some background. So Game of Thrones is definitely one of our highest podcasts. We get the most downloads, which is awesome. But what does that mean for us? Well, we host our own site and we host our own content. So the more downloads, it means the more bandwidth. And I talked about this last episode, but we just got our bill <laughs> this morning. We finished at almost eight terabytes of bandwidth this one month. Which is insane. And our plan is for only two terabytes. So we got charged $200 more this month than normal. Just for that, just for the hosting. So right there, out of our pocket, it's about 240 not to mention the amount of hours that we put into this and the cost for all the equipment and all that stuff. So blah, blah, blah. Basically, we're telling you... There's a lot more that goes into yeah. a free podcast than most realize. And we're not just trying to get money from you. We're just trying to get help to continue to do this. And a big shout out to our new Patreon members. You will be in next month's drawing for the free CKC gear giveaway. And we announced a week ago or so on our Patreon who this month's winners are. And they've gotten back to us. And your gear is being sent your way this weekend once we get some time to send it to you. Uh, it'll be in the mail for free. So that's another thing to look forward to if you become a Patreon member. Free CKC gear. Well, to wrap this up, regardless of your feelings on this episode, this is a show we all tremendously enjoy. It's been a great ride so far. This our final season. We are so happy to have you here with us and so glad we have three more episodes still to review. It's going to come all too quick. The only thing left here is the spoiler section. If you are afraid of that, we will see you next time when we cover episode four. For everyone still here, as per usual, we don't have the episode title yet. We did, though, get an intriguing preview. All of this discussion about we know things and we can't really talk about who's dead and who's alive is because that solely comes from the preview. Characters like Ghost in episode universe 
it seemed like Ghost could very well be dead. He charged into the front lines, and then we did we not see him again. <laughs> However, he appears on the next episode, so he's not dead. Then we saw what we thought was a dragon. And I said, oh, good. Thank goodness they're not both dead, but... Man, that's got to mean it's Drogon, right? And Jason said, no, look, there's two. So we quick paused the frame. It was really hard to get. You can, in fact, see two dragons, meaning both Drogon and Rhaegal are still with us. For now. For now. And the final thing is that you said you saw Tormund. Yes, I saw Tormund, and I didn't see, but I know for sure that Grey Worm's still alive Mm -hmm. and all the other characters that... Brienne, Jamie. Yep, they're all alive. So holla back. They're not dead yet. We also heard the words, we have won the great war. Now we will win the last war. We'll rip her out, root and stem. I wanted to hear her say, after we all party for a little bit and relax. (laughs) Take a break, have a good meal. (laughs) This is just crazy. I can't imagine they're going to be like, yeah, let's do this right now. She should be like, all right, so there's a pond out there. I have my dragons warming it up with their fire. So it's going to be bubbly, like a hot tub. Everyone get in there, have some fun. The other thing is we've talked a lot about strategy because perhaps they didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this. Wouldn't that teach you maybe we should sit back on this? Let's think about it. Let's talk to Tyrion. Well, that's something we don't know. Maybe a couple months go by. Mm. Maybe they do we wait. We get a flash forward. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that would give us time for um, some human stupidness and some anger and angst I have to a show better up. claim to the throne. Yeah, so we'll, <laughs> we shall see. Also, we jokingly said that what's... Brand going to do now. Obviously, I think he'd be very valuable in this next war. If he's down, who knows? He might be like, that's all human stupidness to me. There may not be a tomorrow. <laughs> he's a lot of help, Brand. Thanks. But, but I truly think that he will help by going south, or maybe he doesn't even need to, but he will definitely be a good spy for them. He can warg into a few of his, it looks like his favorite animals to warg into. Well, ravens. ravens that's his strongest connection, yeah. And spy on Cersei, see what she's up to, go to the window of her castle and see what she's saying. Mm -hmm. So that might help. That gives us a uh, one up. And then, of course, like I said before, Arya can come in with uh, someone else's face, maybe Jamie's face, and be like, I'm back. I'm so sorry. It's not a new they were so series, wrong. Oh, really? Sweetie. We've okay. had the take Jamie's face thing for a long That's time. True. But, but I'm saying it makes more sense now. I really want it to be Jamie and Tyrion. My sister said, why can't it be both? And yeah. It could be. It could be. You just reminded me, though. We have something that we kind of forgot about from episode one. Cersei just told Bronn to kill her brothers. Yeah, and we had really seriously doubted that was going to happen, but where is Bronn? What has he been up to? It's a little conspicuous. We haven't seen him. He's probably watching. He probably watched the whole thing unfold and was like, I'm not touching that shit. <laughs> he might have never left King's Landing. And anybody who didn't have a huge role in this episode, I do think will have a bigger part to play in the episodes to come. So let us know your thoughts. What do you think is coming up next? And we'll see you next week for episode four. Till next week. This round's on me. This round is on me. Try again.